السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن وله قال رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayh Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends And upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of times Al-Hadith Tasi' Al-Ashr Hadith 19 Wa'an zir ibni hubayshin Qala ataytu safwan ibni assal رضي الله عنه أسأله عن المس على خفين فقال ما جاء بك يا زر فقلت ابتغاء علم فقال إن الملائكة تضع أجنحتها لطالب العلم رضا بما يطلب فقلت إنه قد حقا في صدره المس مسح على خفين بعد الغائط والبول وكنت امرأ من أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وكنت امرأ من أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فجئت أسألك هل سمعته يذكر في ذلك شيئا قال نعم كان يأمرنا إذا كنا سفرا أو مسافرين ألا ننزع حفافنا ثلاثة, ثلاثة أيام وال وليالهن إلا من جنابة لكن من غائط وبول ونوم فقلت هل سمعته يذكر في الهوى شيئا قال نعم كنا مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في سفر فبينا نحن عنده إذا ناداه أعرابي بصوت له جهوري يا محمد فأجابه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم نحوا من صوته ها أم فقلت له ويحك أضد من صوتك فإنك عند النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وقد نهيت عن هذا فقال والله لا أضد قال الأعرابي المرء يحب القوم ولما يلحق بهم قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم المرء مع من أحب يوم القيامة فما زال يحدثنا حتى ذكر بابا من المغرب مسيرة عرضه أو يسير الرك راقب في عرضه أربعين أو سبعين آما قال سفيان أحد الرواة قبل الشام خلق الله تعالى يوم خلق السماوات والأرض مفتوحا لتوبة لا يغلق حتى تطلع الشمس حتى تطلع الشمس منه رواه تيرميذي وغيره وقال حديث حسن صحيح Zir ibn Hubaysh, he reported, I went to Safwan ibn Asail to inquire about wiping the wet hands over the hoof whilst performing hudu. He asked me, what brings you here, O Zir? I answered, search for knowledge. He said, angels spread their wings for the seeker of knowledge out of joy for what he seeks. I told him, I have some doubts 
So this is Zir speaking. I have some doubts in my mind regarding wiping the wet hands over the hoofs in the course of performing wudu after using the bathroom. Now since you are one of the companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him, I have come <coughs> to ask you whether you heard anything from the Prophet ﷺ concerning this. Meaning to wipe over the hoof after you have relieved yourself. He replied in the affirmative and he said that he, the Prophet ﷺ, instructed us that during a journey we need not take off our hoofs for washing the feet up to three days and nights except in the case of major impurity. In other cases such as sleeping, relieving oneself or urinating the wiping of the hands over the hoofs would suffice. I then questioned him, did you hear him say anything about love and affection? He replied, we accompanied the messenger of Allah in a journey. When a Bedouin called out in a loud voice and he said, O Muhammad, the messenger of Allah replied to him in the same tone, Yeah, I am. I said to him, the Bedouin, Woe to you, lower your voice in the presence, because, right, yani the presence of the Prophet, peace be upon him, because you are not allowed to do so. He said, By Allah, I will not lower my voice. And then addressing the Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, What about a person who loves people but has not found himself in their company? The Prophet, peace be upon him, he replied, said, On the day of resurrection, a person will be in the company of those whom he loves. The Messenger of Allah then kept on talking to us and in the course of his talk, he mentioned a gateway in the heaven, the width of which could be crossed by a rider in 40 or 70 years. Sufyan, one of the narrators of this hadith, he said, this gateway is in the direction of Syria. Allah created it on the day He created the heavens and the earth. It is open for repentance and will not be shut until the sun rises from that direction, yani from the west on doomsday. This hadith is narrated in the Jami of Imam At-Tirmidhi who categorized this hadith as Hassan al-Sahih. So my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, this hadith is one of those ahadith that's cited by the author. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower him with blessings. Regarding Tawbah, regarding repentance, it explains when the acceptance of repentance will cease. However, it contains other points of benefits. And this, my beloved students, this, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, is something that I would like to explain, something I would like to elaborate, is that this is the beauty of studying a hadith. The beauty and one of the great points of studying the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is that one covers a wide aspect with regards to Islamic sciences. And the same thing goes for tafsir as well. So for example, in tonight's lesson, you will see, you will pick up speak a bit about a bit about seeking knowledge we'll be speaking a bit 
about a mas'ala with regards to fiqh. Even this mas'ala comes in the books of Aqidah. We're speaking about the rights that the Prophet has over us. So the beauty of hadith is not merely sitting and reciting the hadith and citing the point as we look at today's lesson with regards to tawbah. But we cover in three or four different sciences as well. And this was the way of the muhaddithun as well. This was the way of Ahlu Hadith. The way of Ahlu Hadith was that the people of Hadith is when they explain a Hadith, they would try and cover all the base cover all the bases of knowledge that they can derive from this Hadith. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us. So sometimes we'll be using or going through one hadith for the whole lesson. But never feel that we only cited one hadith. Because in that hadith that we might that we are using, that we are studying, we might come across other hadith. Besides coming across other hadith, we come across ayat of the Quran. Besides that, we come across different fields of the Islamic sciences and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make that we are true students of knowledge and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Afwan. So Zir ibn Hubaysh, he comes to Safwan ibn Asal or Asal and may Allah be pleased with him. To study. So Safwan says to him that the malaika, the angels, they spread their wings for the seeker of knowledge out of joy for what he seeks. Subhanallah. Someone treads a path of knowledge. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he mentions and he says, Man salaka tariqan yaltamisu fihi ilman sahalallahu lahu tariqan ila jannah. That whosoever treads a path of knowledge, whosoever treads a path of knowledge, Man salaka tariqan yaltamisu fihi ilman sahalallah, that Allah makes his path to jannah easy. And then, so this is one benefit. If you seek knowledge, Allah makes the path of Jannah easy for you. The second point, the malaika, they spread their wings for that person that is seeking knowledge out of joy for what he is seeking. And this shows us, this is a great benefit. It demonstrates the virtue of seeking knowledge and knowledge itself. And here this reference is made to the knowledge of Sharia. So this is the knowledge that the Prophet, peace be upon him, he came with. This is the knowledge that the Sahaba were taught. This is the knowledge that the Tabi'een were taught. This is the knowledge that the Tabi'een that they were taught. So as for knowledge that is gained for the worldly benefits, this is what they will get. But what is admired and commanded or commended, Afwan, 
here is the encouragement and what is mentioned with high regards in the Quran and the Sunnah is the study what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has brought. So this knowledge that Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is saying you're going to get Jannah. This knowledge that he's speaking about is that knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah that was brought by Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and was taught to his companions and they taught it to their companions who taught it to theirs, who taught it to their students right until we have knowledge today. And this what is what makes Islam so special. This is what makes Islam such a beautiful religion. That whatever knowledge we gain in Islam, it can be linked back to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-ilmu, knowledge, is qala Allahu wa qala Rasuluh wa qala sahabiyu. That knowledge is that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions. Is that what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said? And that which the companion said. And this is why in Islam we have something which is known as the Isnad. Has one of the Salaf al-Salih, as one of them said, had it not been for the Isnad, then every single person would say this and that about the religion. This isnad, this chains of narration, this is what separates us from the ummas of the past. This is what separates us from the Jews and the Christians. That whatever we dictate, whatever comes out of this deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can trace it back to qala Allah or qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So seeking knowledge it is a form of jihad in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This religion is based and it is built on two things. Number one, knowledge with exposition and weapons. Yani the sword. Right, so knowledge is based on exposition and weapons is the sword and the arrow. Some of the scholars even say that seeking knowledge is better than jihad in the path of Allah with a weapon because the sharia is preserved only with knowledge as we explained a bit earlier. And likewise jihad in the path of Allah with weapons it is built upon knowledge. Neither will the fighter travel, fight or shed blood, share in the war booty or deal with the captors except according to Islamic knowledge. He would have been able to go through a process. He had to study the chapters with regards to jihad. He would have been able to study the chapters with regards to blood money, or shedding blood, or fighting, or going out in the path of Allah. So all this needed to be studied. He could not just wake up one day and say that I'm going to go fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions and he says at the start of the 28th Jews, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, 
Allah will give you ample room from His mercy. And when you are told to rise up for prayers and to go fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or for any other good deed, then rise up. Allah will exalt in degree those of you who believe and those who have been granted knowledge. So yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that Allah will increase, Allah will exalt in degree those of you who believe, believe in Allah, believe in the messengers, believe in the books, believe in the last day, believe in all the Anbiya, believe in Qadha wa Qadr. And also those who have been granted knowledge. So here we see the Shaykh, he brings this verse to prove also and to, so that we can derive that Allah increases, Allah raises the rank of the person that believes and the person that seeks knowledge. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those true students of knowledge. The malaika, the angels, they spread their wings for the seeker of knowledge. And this is out of joy with what he seeks. It is out of respect and high esteem for him. That an individual he wonders and he says, but I can't feel that. This does not contradict the, this fact, because when a report is authentically transmitted from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it is like a thing directly experienced. So someone might say, but I can't feel. You know that the malaika, they are happy. I can't feel that they are proud of me because I'm seeking knowledge. So the author, Sheikh Uthaymin rahimallahu ta'ala, he says that if something is reported to you, afwan, <coughs> authentically, in an authentic ahadith, in an authentic hadith, then we accept it. Because now it is come from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this goes for any hadith that is authentic that we find in today's time. Sometimes we find certain groups, certain people. They hear a hadith from the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it maybe does not gel well with his intellect. So he says, no, I cannot accept this hadith. Billah. The Quran and the Sunnah does not contradict the aql. But rather the Quran and the Sunnah is in conformity with the aql. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those that we do not say sami'na wa asayna. We listen but we disobey. Rather sami'na wa ata'na. We listen and we obey. 
Yes, in Islam, obviously, we know that there's no blind following. A man with a big turban, with a big kurta, a big beard, right? If he says something to you, and it goes contrary to that which is found in the Quran and the Sunnah, and the ijma of the Salaf, and the understanding of the ulama of this ummah, so it goes against the teachings of Islam, then we do not tell you, and it, it is wajib, it is compulsory on you, that you do not follow this person. Because in Islam there is no, nothing as following blindly. But what we are speaking about is that you cannot make your own rules as you go along. You cannot say that I feel that this hadith goes against what I believe because I think differently to this hadith, so this hadith is not true. And you reject the hadith. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us. So look, let us look at right Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says that Allah azza wa jal he descends to the lowest even every night during the last third. Right during the last third of the night, and he says, Who will call upon me so that I answer him? Who will ask me? Who will ask from me so that I give him? And who will seek forgiveness from me so that I may forgive him? So here we do not hear, right? And this hadith, subhanallah, is a very beautiful hadith. You're having a difficulty in your business. You're having some hardship you're going through with your family, with your spouse. Things are not going well. Wake up during the third part of the night. Call to Allah Azza wa Jal. Speak to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Who is there, as the Prophet, peace be upon him, says, who is there? That is looking for forgiveness. Know that Allah will forgive. Who is there that needs something? Ask Allah and Allah will grant it to you. Right? So the author he brings this hadith and he says that we do not hear the statement of the Prophet or the statement of Allah the mighty sublime but for the fact that it is authentically narrated from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It is as if we heard it ourselves. So it is wajib on us to believe in what the messenger said and it is authentically reported from him regarding the matters of the unseen. We should be convinced of them as we witness them with our eyes or hear them with our ears. So matters of the unseen, if it comes in an authentic Hadith, we accept it, sami'na wa atta'na. We listen and we obey. Then Zir ibn Hubayj he told Safwan that he was contemplating about the issue of wiping over the leather socks, right? Wiping over the hoof or on normal cotton socks, as is mentioned in other ahadith. So, as I mentioned at the start of the hadith, the start of the lesson tonight, that we will be looking at different sciences or we derive different rulings from one hadith. 
So the first part of this hadith it dealt with knowledge. And how the encouragement, some fadail, some virtues of the student of knowledge. Encouraging people that is not studying to study the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now it switches. Because Zir actually wants to know, right, may Allah be pleased with him, about the wiping over the socks. So now we open the chapter of fiqh. And now we go to explain about the khuf, etc. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says in the Quran In Surah Ma'idah verse number 6 Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu O you who believe Ida qumtum ila salah That when you stand Or you intend to offer your prayer When you want to establish the salah Fawsilu hujuhakum Then wipe Wash your Hujuhakum Wash your faces Wa'idiyakum and your hands, يعني your forearms, up to the elbows. إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ يعني up to your elbows. وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ And wipe. Right? Rub your wet hands, wipe your wet hands over your head. وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ And wash your feet up to your ankles. So this is the fara'id, this is what is compulsory for someone to do when they are making wudu. فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ Your face, wash it. Wash your hands until your elbows. Wipe your head and wash your feet. Then we find in the hadith of Uthman radiallahu anhu we explains the sunan of the wudu as well. Washing the hands first, right? The rinsing the nose, I mean the mouth and the nose. And some of the ulama, and this seems to be the correct opinion, they include this as part of being fard, because they say that Allah says, "Fausilu hujuhakum." And including in falsilu wujuhakum, washing your face. What is part of your face? Your mouth and your nose. So they will say that this is part of, or this is compulsory as well. Three times. And then you wash your hands from your fingertips until your, above your elbows. Thrice again, starting with the right and then the left. Then you will make mass of your head. And then you will wash your feet. And then Uthman radiallahu anhu says, This is how I learned how to make wudu from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Zir said that I am unsure. I'm unsure. Meaning, with regards to the issue of wiping over the socks. After emptying the bowels, meaning that you went to the bathroom, and he's not sure now. Is he allowed to wipe over his socks or not? So Safwan he explains and he says that this is permissible. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he ordered them not to remove their socks whenever they are on a trip except when they are due for a ritual bath, yani a ghusl. But if they went to the bathroom to relieve themselves, whether it was to defecate or urinate, 
later they were sleeping and they wake up, then they can wipe over their socks. So this shows the permissibility of wiping over socks, again, whether it was its leather socks, which is known as the hoof, or cotton socks or any other covering of the feet, then that is fine. But rather wiping over the leather socks is better whenever a person is wearing them. It is authentically reported in two sahih ahadith. Muhira ibn Shu'bah, may Allah be pleased with him. He said that he was with the Prophet peace be upon him during a journey. The Prophet peace be upon him performed ablution and Muhira wanted to remove the socks that the Prophet peace be upon him was wearing. The Prophet peace be upon him said, leave them. I wore them whilst in a state of purity, so he only wiped over them. So here we find that the companion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhira ibn Shu'bah, he wanted to remove this leather socks, the hoof of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so that he could wash his feet. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he explains to Muhira and he says, leave it. Do not remove it. Because indeed I wore them whilst I was in a state of purity. So this is a first point. That you will wear your hoof or you are allowed to wipe over the hoof or the sock with a condition or one of the conditions is that you need to be in the state of purity. Example, I wake up in the morning. I make wudu. I put on my sock. Later on in the day, went to the bathroom and the time comes for salah. So what do I do now? Because I put on those socks or I put on the hoof in a state of purity, I can just wipe over the sock or wipe over my hoof when I'm making wudu and there's no need to remove it and Allah knows best so this contains clear evidence that the best thing for the individual wearing a pair of stockings or socks or leather socks is to wipe over them and not to wash his two feet another lesson that we learn from this when the individual finds difficulty understanding a matter then he should ask or we should ask and find out from those who have more knowledge about it in order to remove any ambiguities from his mind about this matter. And this, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, is a whole topic on its own. That seeking knowledge and asking if you do not know from those who know فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ ذِكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ فَاسْأَلُوا So ask those people of knowledge إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ If you do not know And you knowing is not just something that you read on the internet Some article that was translated from Arabic but you have no background of usul al-fiqh. You have no background of mustalah al-hadith. You have no background of qawaid al-fiqhiyya. But you pass hukum. You pass rulings. 
You want to speak about the Sharia. When the ulama of this ummah, when they pass judgment based on what they understand, what they studied, what they derive from the Quran and the Hadith, they studied for six years, ten years, twenty years. They mastered the Arabic language, they mastered tafsir, they mastered hadith. But what they say is because it does not go in conformity with what you believe, it does not go in conformity with your hawa, then what happens? So now we need to leave it off. So now we cannot accept their view. Because what do they know? What does the ulama know? They 70, 80, they close to 90. They 50 years old. They don't have knowledge. We went to UCT, we went to UWC, we went to Harvard. So we know what's happening. But the ulama of this ummah, the scholars of the ummah, the students of this ummah, they don't know. And this is why I need to tell them. I open a Google translation. I open this, I open that. I take my knowledge from Facebook. I take my knowledge from Twitter. But when you're asking the basics of the Arabic language, what is a file, what is a maf'ul? What is the rules of mudaf, mudafun ilay? And then he looks at you, she looks at you, what are you talking about? But the same person is passing fatawa. The same person is telling people, do this, don't do that. And sometimes it causes more harm to Islam than bringing benefit to Islam. Ya ikhwan wa ya akhawat. We cannot emphasize the importance of seeking knowledge. And we cannot emphasize that if you do not understand something, rather ask those who studied. Because sometimes it causes, like I mentioned, it causes more harm than it brings benefit and Allah knows best. So Sheikh Uthaymin carries on and he says that this is because an individual, he may hear something from rulings of the Sharia, and he becomes bemused, he becomes skeptical, he becomes hesitant. And he would not ask the one who will clarify his doubts. This is a mistake. It is rather incumbent upon the individual to find out until he gets a good response and that his doubts are clarified and Allah knows best. So Zir, may Allah be pleased with him, he asked Safwan about wiping over the leather socks whether there is any evidence about this and he said yes he would order us and we did the hadith just a few moments ago that he would order us during journeys or when we travel not to remove our leather socks except during sexual impurity but not after defecating or urinating or sleep so this hadith also contains evidence affirming wiping over the hoof and wiping over the socks. The narrations from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam regarding this is mutawatir. 
Mutawatir is something where you report that it is so widely spread. So many people narrated it that it is impossible that this thing could be fabricated. Let's look at an example. Many people have not been to Mecca. But they can affirm to you that the Kaaba is in Mecca. They've not been there physically. They've not seen the Kaaba. They've seen pictures of the Kaaba. But besides pictures, how many people has come to them that it is impossible that they could be a lie to say that there is this Kaaba in Makkah. So this is yani what Mutawatir basically is. And also the people of the Sunnah, they uphold this, that you will wipe over the hoof or the socks. In fact, some amongst the people of knowledge who compile books on Islamic creed, on Aqidah, they mention the wiping of the hoof or over the hoof in the books of Aqidah. So now you might be wondering. But this is a fiqh issue. This is something that has to do with fiqh. Right? You open any book of fiqh, they will speak about wiping over the hufayn. Mas'ala hufayn. But why would some scholars bring this in the books of Aqidah? The reason for this is because the Rafidiyah, right, the Ithna Ashariya, the Shia, they contradict the Sunnah. So they do not wipe over the hoof. They reject it. And they have their own reasons, Allahu A'lam. But the point is that, and this is something amazing, Ali ibn Abi Talib, may Allah be pleased with him, the son-in-law of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the fourth khalifa of Islam, the father of the leaders of the shabab of Jannah, of the youth of Jannah, Hassan and Hussein, may Allah be pleased with all of them. He reported, or he was one of those that reported the sunnah of wiping over the Hufayn. But yet, the same people that claims to love Ali, the same people that claims to follow Ali, may Allah be pleased with him, they reject the wiping of the Huf. And this is why some of the ulama, they included this mas'ala. They included this issue of the Huf in the books of Aqidah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Another important point with regards to the khuf, that the khuf is a symbol of the people of Sunnah. And it is well known amongst the people of Sunnah that it is a practice undoubtedly reported from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, Ahmad ibn Hanbal, he said, I do not have any doubts about wiping over the leather socks, yani wiping over the hoofs. He also said, this is a matter having 40 ahadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imagine, 40 ahadith just speaking about wiping over the hoof. So the hoof and the socks, they have some conditions. The first condition is that they should be worn while in the state of purity as we discussed earlier. And this was based on the hadith of Mughira ibn Shu'bah. 
So, not obviously going to repeat the hadith, but for example, a person, he performs a complete ablution and he washes his feet and then he wears the hoof or socks. Whether it is stockings, whether it is normal socks, or whether it is leather socks, as Sheikh Uthaymin explains. But he wears this in a state of purity. Likewise, if he wore the leg coverings and he wiped over them, then he needed to wear another covering over the first which he had wiped while still in the state of purity. Alright, so here he says, if he wore the leg coverings and wiped over them, then he needed to wear another covering over the first which he had wiped while in the state of purity. It suffices for him to wipe the second. What is the Sheikh saying? You wear socks, it's extremely cold. Right? Or even when you wear hoofs, many people they first put on a pair of socks and then they put the leather sock on afterwards. So, you put on the second pair. Must you take that off and wipe over the first pair? No, you just wipe over the second pair or you wipe over the hoof and Allah knows best. Nevertheless, it is ex the accepted period for wiping will begin the count from the time of wearing the first leg covering and not the second, obviously. Right, so meaning he puts on his hoof to now. He puts on his sock now, but only tonight or asr time. Right, so now it's 10 a.m. in the morning. Right, or 6, 6 p.m. at night. So he puts on the hoof. He puts on the sock. But then 10 hours later, 5 hours later, he puts on another covering. So where does your time begin from? Your time begins not from the second one that you put over, but rather from the first sock that you put, and Allah knows best. This is the correct view that if he wears any leg covering and wipe over leather socks, he would wipe over the upper socks as well. However, the duration of permissibility of wiping over the second one is based on the time of the first one, and Allah knows best. The purification must be done with water. If he wears them after tayammum, and tayammum is a purification made with clean sand or earth, then it is not accepted for him to wipe over them. For instance, a traveler who does not find water, who then performs tayammum and wears the leather socks after purification by means of tayammum, thereafter he finds water and he tends to make ablution. In this case, he must remove the two socks and wash his two feet during the ablution. He should not wipe over them in this case because he did not wear them after purification in which he was or in which his feet was washed because tayammum only involves two parts of the body, the face and the palms and Allah knows best. The second condition, wiping is done in relation to a state of minor impurity and not major impurity so if an individual enters the state of sexual impurity, it does not suffice him to wipe over the socks, but rather he must remove them and wash the feet. This is because the major impurity, or this is because the major purification does not permit wiping, wiping except in the case of necessity, such as wiping over a bandage. For this reason, the head is not wiped during pure 
major purification it is rather washed as a matter of obligation whilst wiping suffices during wudu and yet the he brings an important point and this has to do with a bandage he says that wiping is allowed in a case of necessity such as wiping over a bandage so someone he needs to make a husa but he has a bandage on his arm or he has a cast on his arm he was in an accident he got hurt so what happens in this case he will right, obviously cover it so it does not get wet etc and then he will just wipe over it he does not have to wash over this and Allah knows best so purification right or with regards now to major purification is more emphasized and the impurity is major so this is why washing is compulsory and it is not sufficient just to wipe over the socks the third condition the wiping must be within the duration duration given by muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that is a day and night for the resident and three days with their nights for the one who is traveling as reported by Ali ibn Abi Talib and this hadith is found in the Sahih of Imam Muslim he said the Prophet peace be upon him stipulated three days were the nights for the traveler and one day and a night for the resident this is regarding a wiping over the socks but when the stipulated period expires it is not allowed to wipe over the socks the socks must be removed and the feet must be washed. However, if the stipulated period expires whilst you are in a state of purity. Listen carefully. If the stipulated period expires whilst you are in the state of purity, then continue on your state of purity. The expiration does not nullify your wudu. But if you wish to perform ablution after the expiration of the duration, then washing the two feet becomes obligatory. And thereafter, Zir asked Safwan, Did you hear the Prophet, peace be upon him, saying anything regarding Al Hawa? And Hawa means love and inclination. Safwan said, Yes. And then he narrated the story of a Bedouin who in a very loud voice came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said, Ya Muhammad. And the Bedouins, they were very rough and ready. Right? They lived in the desert. They were farmers. And they had this very rough way of speaking, etc. They didn't mean any malice. They did not mean any harm. So they came, he came and he said, Ya Muhammad, to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in a loud voice. So it was said to him, Woe unto you, waylak. Are you calling the Messenger of Allah in a loud voice? And this brings us to the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, O you who believe, la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi, that do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet. Wa la tajaharu lahu bilqawli kajahri ba'dikum li ba'd. 
O oh, you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet, nor speak aloud to him in a talk as you speak aloud to one another, lest your deeds should be rendered useless whilst you perceive it not. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Hujarat, known as also Surah Al-Adab. O oh, you who believe, do not raise your voice above that of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But as I mentioned, the Arabs generally, the Bedouins, they were not known of people of manners. Right? They were far away from the cities, they were far away from knowledge. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, he answers him as well with a very loud voice. The Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, was the most perfect in guidance. He would relate with every individual according to his intellect. Again, something important that we should understand and that we should take lesson. That not everyone is going to be on our level. And we speak to the level of the people. Same thing with knowledge. Not everyone is going to understand every single mas'ala. So you need to look at who you are speaking to. However, this does not mean that when you say and speak to the level of the people, so for example, you meet someone from out of the city, so now you can speak rudely to him. Now you can speak in slang to him. Now you can speak and start swearing to them. No, because you must speak on the level of the people. No. You will still speak a good English, whatever language you speak. But maybe you won't use Shakespearean English, but you will use every right day-to-day English and Allah knows best. So the Bedouin, he asked the Prophet, peace be upon him, or the Bedouin asked, an individual would love a people but has not found himself in their company. Meaning, he would love a people but his deeds are of a lesser degree than theirs. He cannot match them in deeds. Who will he be with? Who will he be with? Will he be in their company or not on Qiyamah? The Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, on the day of resurrection, a person will be in the company of those that he loved. And this is a great bounty. Praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anas ibn Malik, may Allah be pleased with him, he said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told a man who loved Allah and his messenger that you will be those who you love. And then said, I love the messenger of Allah. I love Abu Bakr, I love Umar, and I hope to be in their company. Likewise, we call and we besiege on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to witness our, over our love for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Our love for the Khulafa al-Rashidin. 
our love for the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the ulama of this ummah, the ulama of haq, the leaders and those people that guided us to the truth. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those, to raise us amongst those on the day of Qiyamah. And this is glad tidings for the individual that if he loves a people, he will be with him even if his deeds are below theirs. He will be with him in paradise. Allah will join him together with them during the gatherings. They will partake in the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's pool together. They will drink from the hawd and so on. Similarly, whoever loves the disbelievers, now we're looking at the opposite. They may be with him and take refuge or that we seek refuge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because loving the disbelievers is forbidden. It is amongst or it is even amongst the major sins. So a Muslim should detest the disbelievers. He should know that they are his enemies irrespective of the friendship, cordiality and love that they may display and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions in the Quran and he says Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tattakhidu aduwi wa aduwakum awliyah Oh you who believe do not take my enemy and your enemy as friends Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he also says Kul man kana aduwa li jibarila فَإِنَّهُ نَزَّلَهُ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ وَهُدَوَّ وَبُشْرَى لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Surah Al-Baqarah Allah says, whoever is an enemy to Allah, his angels, his messenger, Jibreel, Mikael, then verily Allah is an enemy to the disbelievers. So Allah is an enemy to every disbeliever. Thus every disbeliever is an enemy to us. So every disbeliever certainly bears certain rancor against us. For this reason, you should show this enmity or the hatred should be in your heart from the bottom of your heart irrespective of the nationality or closeness to you so you need some explanation you have a non-muslim neighbor but you be rude to him no you mustn't should be oppressive to him no you mustn't because your duty is to invite them to islam this is referring to any to the leadership, to those that outright shows enmity to the Muslims. You cannot still love them. You cannot still care about them. This is what is referred to and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those that will be in the company of the pious. Uh, it's just one more point before we end off with regards to raising your voice. The verse, And oh, you who believe, do not raise your voice above that of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's one point that I forgot to add here and I would like to add is the following. If raising your voice, right, raising your voice is disrespect and it is not allowed 
What about someone when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has ordained a certain matter? He goes against the teachings of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is far worse. This is a bigger aib. This is a bigger problem. Then someone that is raising his voice in the presence of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And this point links back to what we spoke about earlier. Because you don't understand certain ahadith, you don't understand certain ayat, then you feel it fit to reject it. And I leave you with this message. If raising your voice can nullify your deeds above the voice of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what about not following his sunnah? And this brings us to the end of our lesson. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa astaghfiruka wa tubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.